0: think that branches are going away. I don't think they're ever going to disappear. And I I think the reason for that is at some level of scale, having an in-person presence for any business almost always makes sense.
1: Welcome to the Next Gen Banker Podcast. This is part two of our conversation with Alex Johnson, the creator of Fintech Takes, a newsletter focused on financial technology and the future of financial services. In part one, we talked about all things tech, from crypto and NFTs to the metaverse, and how Alex sees banks adapting to Web3. In part two, we talk about Alex more about banking as a service and the future of brick and mortar branch locations. Brian Toft, Sunrise Bank's chief revenue officer, starts by asking Alex about his thoughts on banking as a service and its potential for banks and fintechs.
2: I'd love to transition to another developing area and that is banking as a service. yeah and as you know, Sunrise is involved in banking as a service. We have you know 20 plus fintech partners we work with whether it's credit builder, earned wage access, accounts and cards, prepaid cards, whatever it might be. and I wanted to I know you've written a lot about banking as a service and wanted to talk to you about that a little bit. Could you just give your uh, take on banking as a service? and its potential in the near future. And you know, talk about what banks and FinTech should be thinking about as they start thinking about banking as a service. Cause we're hearing a lot about banks starting to explore that and figure out maybe where they should play in the banking as a service market.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the the level of competition in banking as a service is gonna go up, right, a lot. And you know, if you think back to the very earliest days of banking as a service, you know, when I was uh, a research analyst covering the payment space, I spent some time looking into uh, Lending Club and Prosper, circa 2015, 2016, when P2P lending was really exploding. And you know, I hadn't realized at the time till I dug into it that pretty much all of those loans—and we're talking about billions of dollars of loans—were all flowing through a tiny little bank in Utah called WebBank, right? And that was one of the only banking as a service banks in existence at the time, and it was one of the few that specialized in lending. And so, this tiny, tiny little bank in Utah, I mean, you should have seen the, the like average revenue generated per employee at Webbank. Like, it just broke the dials. It made no sense. And so, it was a really, really attractive business to be in in the early days. Same thing for deposits, same thing for all those use cases you mentioned. But that was because there was an imbalance between sort of supply and demand, right, within the, the banking as a service space. And I think what we're seeing is, a evening out of the the supply and demand and reaching sort of an equilibrium point within banking as a service where there's still a lot of demand from fintech companies for banking partners obviously 2021 broke the all-time record for fintech funding globally i think one out of every five dollars invested in fintech around the world or invested in any kind of private company was invested in fintech so um it's a very very hot category still it's still growing very quickly and so there's going to be a lot of demand for it, but now there's going to be a bunch more supply. And the supply is being provided directly by banks like Sunrise that have a direct banking as a service program and that sign up fintech companies directly. But it's also increasingly being supplied by banks that work through banking as a service platforms. And so this is these are companies like Modern Treasury, Synctera, Unit, Bond. Uh, Stripe has a little business in this space now. And... All these companies essentially act as sort of middleware that connects fintech companies that need a bank sponsor with banks that want to offer banking as a service, but don't want to sort of get into the weeds of doing all of it themselves. And um, I think those banking as a service platforms are going to radically sort of accelerate the number of banks that are supplying banking capabilities as as a banking as a service model. And um, when that happens, I think the question for banks is going to be, how do you um differentiate yourself like how do you stand out right because suddenly there's going to be a lot of banks that are doing it you know suddenly having a bank charter by itself is not going to be a differentiating factor and in a commoditized market the thing you want to avoid but that often happens is that drives the price down and suddenly everyone has to compete on price and so i think the question for banks is going to be can you compete on something other than price in the world of banking as a service and that could be uh, product specialization. So I mentioned like lending and deposits, but you know we're seeing banking as a service for crypto. We're seeing it for online gaming. We're seeing it for cannabis. We're seeing it for all these sort of areas where banks have historically sort of shied away from it. But we might see that sort of cropping up a bit more. We might see specialization around something like commercial lending or small business. So I think um, that's definitely one aspect where you can potentially differentiate. And then I think the other way to differentiate is just you know, do you have the ability to build relationships with fintech companies directly, or are you reliant on a banking as a service partner to do that? And I think the banks that we see being the most successful long-term in banking as a service are the ones that have some other mechanism for connecting with and finding fintech companies. And that could be investing in fintech companies. It could just be going to South by Southwest and Money2020 and all the places where fintech companies are. It could be having an accelerator program. There's lots of different ways to do it, but I think that's the other sort of differentiating factor long-term in that space.
1: So, Alex, with this, you know, the onset of digital banking, digital transformation, and then banking as a service, playing a role with, I would say, those banks who are thinking ahead, who are innovative. What's going to happen to that local bank or credit union who doesn't, you know, who don't make that jump to fintech in the next five years, three years, two years, whatever that is?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think that's the reason that banks, um, community banks in particular, are really drawn to banking as a service, is it's kind of an easy way out, so to speak, um, for a uh, for resolving that exact question and not having to like digitally transform your organization. It's like, oh, we'll just do banking as a service and we'll be fine. Um, I think that that's probably short-sighted. And I think that, you know, the the thing that uh, banks and credit unions need to do is re-entrench around the group of customers that they can best serve. And I think there's a good analog to this in fintech, right? There's lots of fintech companies and neobanks that are making good business and growing quickly by focusing on a particular niche of customers and and serving those customers better than any others. I think the difference is that um, the way they're defining their communities isn't based on geography. It's not based on these sort of lazy assumptions that banks and credit unions have kind of gotten used to over the last 50 years. And so you have to be much sharper in the way that you define who your customers are. And the key sort of question you need to ask yourself is, what do we as a financial services organization know about this group of customers that no one else knows, right? And I'll give you an example of this. Um, I was talking to a credit union that grew up serving and their sort of initial membership base was built around uh, airlines, right? And airline employees. And um, much like any other credit union, they've sort of grown beyond that. And they've kind of got a little, little lazy maybe about sort of how they define their customers and solve their problems. But when I pushed on this point with them, I was like, okay, what do you know about these customers? Like, What are things they do that no one else would know about that might represent unique financial needs? And one of the things they mentioned that I I had no idea about was um, these housing arrangements that airports have with pilots, right? Where they allow pilots to buy private property at airports, right? That are sort of adjacent to the runways so that if you're a pilot and you sort of live on the road all the time, you can have a home away from home somewhere else in another city or another hub that you fly through and you can just sort of live at the airport, but you can have your own kind of house within these confines. It's only available to a select group of people. And as you might imagine, um, underwriting mortgages for that particular type of property, going back to Brian's point about you sort of have to know the history of what you're underwriting to do it well, like no one can do that. And, And the person I was talking to was like, Well, do you think that would be like a good business? It's like, yes, that would be an amazing business to do. That would be like the greatest business ever because you're the only people who can do that. So I think there are lots of those little sort of micro opportunities hiding within certain communities. You just really need to kind of refocus around who your community is and how you can serve them.
2: Thank you, Alex. That was really interesting. Um, We do want to go to one more thing, and that is – the future of banking in terms of brick and mortar locations. This has been discussed over the years and just want your opinion on where do you see the future as brick and mortar locations? In our view, the pandemic has totally sped up digital transformation. We've seen it over and over again. PPP was an eye opener, I think, for many banks as they shifted into digital applications and processing and all that kind of thing. And uh, I know that happened for us and is continuing to propel forward. Um. So where do you see the brick-and-mortar bank locations going, and um, will they be a thing of the past? Will they ne- not exist at some point? Uh, and what do all you think?
1: in that metaverse? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, it's interesting. I think there's a couple different concepts here. I mean, one is, just to give you my history on this particular topic, we've been talking about this my entire career, literally, yeah. And- remember one of the first blog posts I wrote at my first job was a blog post basically arguing why Brett King was a moron for predicting that branches <laughs> were going to go away. And oh, no. I was trying to sort of pick a fight with Brett, who's a great guy and did not deserve my, my snark. I was like 18 at the time. So like, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And I I owe Brett an apology for that. And he was very gracious about it. But, um, you know, he was right. We were way over indexed on branches relative to where I think we all now recognize we're going. And certainly the pandemic just accelerated these trends that I think have been obvious to some like Brett for a long time and to people like me less time than that. But I I certainly am on board with that idea. So I think that branches are going away. I don't think they're ever going to disappear. And I, I think the reason for that is, Um, at some level of scale, having an in-person presence for any business almost always makes sense, right? Like maybe not always, but it almost always makes sense. I'll give you an example. Speaking of the metaverse point, um, brands just want different ways to sort of touch or interact with customers. And so you think about like a brand that would never ever build an in-person store. Like what's the like last brand that would ever build an in-person store? To me, like Netflix is a good option for that, right? Like Netflix is just They're a streaming video company. They're never, ever going to build a store. They're never going to have an in-person store. Guess what they have in Oculus Quest? They have a Netflix app. And you know what the Netflix app is when you go into Oculus? You click on the app, you go into it, and it is literally a big, gigantic virtual living room where you sit on a virtual couch, and there's a big TV screen where you watch Netflix on it. So it's literally just a recreation of my living room, except I'm watching it on my stupid headset (laughs) rather than watching the TV. And it's giving me a headache and kind of hurting my neck, right? The
1: real question, is it HD?
0: Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't as good as my TV. I was like, like, what am I doing in here? And I like take it off immediately. So so like, I think every brand is always going to want to have some sort of more immersive way to touch or interact with customers. And to a certain degree, branches or physical location is gonna be a part of that. So I don't see that ever 100% disappearing. But going back, Becca, to the point that you made about like going into the metaverse and shifting resources around, I think a really important point for banks to understand, and this is important for FinTech companies and something that FinTech companies have not historically uh, gotten right away and it's caused some trouble for them is, there's a difference between branches and customer service, right? And um, fintech companies like to brag about the fact that they can afford to offer great pricing or offer these accounts with no fees or whatever because they have a much lower cost to offer those services. They don't have all these heavy like branch costs. But part of what they're also dismissing when they say we don't have those costs is customer service, right? And what they mean is we don't have 1,500 people working in our customer service operation or call centers or branches or whatever and you know to a certain extent that's probably good because there probably are in fact i know there are customer service people who work at branches who don't get a lot of business every day people aren't coming in and they just sort of sit at their desks and they don't do very much and they're not very productive but i do think that one thing fintech companies underestimate a lot is regardless of whether they're sitting in a branch or they're behind an app or they're on a call center or whatever People always want to talk to people about their money. They just do. There's just like a natural desire. It's like healthcare, right? There are just these certain industries where when something goes wrong, as a human being, you want to talk to another human being and you want to be able to do it immediately. And so I think that one thing we're going to see is as banks move away from brick and mortar as their primary distribution strategy, maybe they keep a couple flagship branches in a few locations, but for the most part, they close them down or they consolidate it a lot. I think they are not going to get rid of a lot of their customer service people, nor should they. I think those customer service resources are going to be deployed to the metaverse and to the digital app. And a new experience is like there's a a fintech app out there that um, has like finance coaches that are sort of almost like money therapists that help people talk through money and sort of (laughs) deal with the emotional sort of challenges around (laughs) money. I think that's a huge, huge unaddressed need in the market. And I think there are people working at banks, working in branches who are super qualified to do that work. They're just not in the right channels to enable that skill set. And so I think that's directionally what we're going to see as those resources getting shifted around.
1: Which is is an absolute perfect segue to our last question, which we ask every one of our guests. Alex, what do you think the next generation of Banker
0: looks like. Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I think the next generation of banker is going to be at heart a product developer. So I think that the the skill set you're going to need is a combination of tremendous sort of customer and user empathy and an ability to always know exactly what your set of customers that you're focused on needs and a proficiency for working across all of the infrastructure that you have at your fingertips, your APIs, your SDKs, your developer toolkits, your user interface design patterns, and being able to pull all of those together into these products that might not be designed for the mass market, they might only be designed for a small niche of customers, but the ability to get products into market quickly for those customers go out into the field, get feedback from those customers, come back to the bank, iterate on those products and do it quickly. To me, the future uh, role for a banker is as a iterative software-based product developer with a tremendous amount of user empathy.
2: Thank you so much for being on the Next Gen Banker podcast, Alex. This was fascinating. We appreciate all the uh, great insight you gave to us. We really appreciate it.
1: And it was a ton of fun. Thank you so much. For this episode's musical feature, we're showcasing Stranger Kings. Stranger Kings is a five-piece group that describes themselves as Callie Gaze. Here is Tall Skinny Boy from their 2019 release, Blue. That was Tall, Skinny Boy by Stranger Kings. You can find more of Stranger Kings music at StrangerKings.com. If you would like your music featured on the Next Gen Banker podcast, just email David at David at NextGen-Banker.com with a link to your music and website. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you next time.